0: Aristotle said, Men come together in cities in order to live. But they remain together in order to live the good life. It is harder and harder to live the good life in American cities today. The catalog of ills is long. There is the decay of the centers and the despoiling of the suburbs. There's not enough housing for our people or transportation for our traffic. Open land is vanishing and old landmarks are violated. Worst of all, expansion is eroding these precious and time-honored values of community with neighbors and communion with nature. The loss of these values breeds loneliness and boredom and indifference. And our society will never be great until our cities are great.
1: We just heard a soundbite of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society speech that he delivered at the University of Michigan on May 22, 1964. But in truth, it could have been written today. In the audience, during that speech, quietly, the First Lady was taking in those ideas, especially the aspects of the Great Society program focusing on the environment. I decided that's for me, she observed at the time. Steadfast in her new mission, she became an early advocate of developing green spaces to improve mental health. The following year, and during a turbulent time, of race riots in America, speaking at the National Council of State Garden Clubs and the American Forestry Association, Lady Bird said, beauty cannot be set aside for vacations or special occasions. It cannot be for the occasional privilege of those who come long distances to visit nature. It cannot be reserved for nice neighborhoods only. I am quite sure that ugliness The grey, dreary, unchanging world of crowded, deprived neighborhoods has contributed to riots, to mental ill health, to crime. Urban life has improved in some aspects since the 60s, but other problems are getting worse. New York City was less segregated in the 1970s than it is today, mainly due to lack of affordable housing. A direct result of gentrification is more urban forests, which, done right, have the capacity of creating more equal cities by reducing air and noise pollution. According to the World Resources Institute, wealthy neighborhoods in San Francisco, for example, have 30% tree canopy cover compared to 7.5% in lower-income neighborhoods. Today, I am speaking with Julia Stryg, a scholar of U.S.-Latin America relations and New York Times bestselling author of Lady Bird Johnson, Hiding in Plain Sight. She is also the producer of the podcast In Plain Sight, Lady Bird Johnson. We will discuss Lady Bird's advocacy for mental health, her political savvy in a world dominated by men and the great solace that she found in nature after losing her mother when she was a child. I hope you will join us. Welcome, Julia. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Paola. I'm very excited to be here. Me too. What was the first spark of an idea for you to write about uh, Lady Bird? Well, I
2: did not have Lady Bird in mind when I said about to write my next book and as you know i've written a great deal about latin america and american Mm -hmm. foreign policy but working in a field that was so dominated by one gender for so many years i really wanted to pull back and write about broadly about the topic of women and power Mm -hmm. but i didn't have a subject i only came to ladybird when i discovered that she had kept a very, very extensive audio recording of her time in the White House
1: mm-hmm.
2: that she started on November 22nd, 1963, the day of the JFK assassination in Dallas, and ended, recorded all the way through the presidency, ending at the end of January 1969. And once I began to read those transcripts and then listen to all of that audio, I just knew I had found my subject because she's in the writing, in the storytelling, a very two-dimensional character, very subordinate, very kind of conventional first lady. Uh But then the material that she herself left tells a, Totally different story. And she's the woman married to the American president, maybe most associated with power in the 20th century. So I was a woman in search of a woman and then I found her in Lady Bird.
1: Yes, and I feel that because the book has such a strong female voice and the voice of a woman of the sixties, the events of you know the Vietnam War, violence and power come across even more brutal in contrast to her female voice? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a really
2: interesting point because she, it's not just a female voice. Well, we hear this in my podcast because we're able to hear her recording. Uh It's much more powerful when you hear it, but she expresses herself with this kind of gorgeous East Texas lilt. She is very, very, dramatic and, and she can go from sort of the sublime to the ridiculous in three seconds and her way of storytelling <laughs> and painting word pictures as she called them is so elegant. It You're right. It, it does contrast with the violence and the heaviness of the moment she's describing. Her environmentalism is one of the big stories that I try to, unpack in the book and in the podcast. And LBJ himself had a very comprehensive environmental component to mm-hmm. his Great Society program. It In 1964, when mm-hmm. he laid out that vision, the United States didn't have the kinds of laws and regulations and agencies to to, to protect the environment that we have now, though now they've been substantially degraded. But in mm-hmm. the early 1960s, so first Rachel Carson's book *Silent Spring* is published mm-hmm. in 1962. That's kind of the first moment of recent American history when the case is made that, indu- that industry, an mm-hmm. industrial runoff specifically into water of chemicals, is damaging. The environment and this, mm-hmm. not just the environment, but human beings as well, and flora and fauna, et cetera. Lady Bird's already primed for this kind of environmental thinking because she, as a very early uh, young, at a very young age, and I'm going back way be- before the Great Society speech, mm-hmm. she lost her mother when she was four or five years old. And mm-hmm. she was raised in East Texas although in a small town, very close to nature. And she talked always in her life about how access to nature gave her solace and made her, brought her closer to her own humanity. Mm -hmm. And so by the time she gets to the early 1960s, two things have happened. One is the interstate highway system in the United States, beginning in the 1950s, has created all kinds of physical dislocations and damage to the environment across the country. The second thing, and at the same time, is urban renewal. Urban renewal in maybe 600 cities is an, starts in the 1940s and 50s, and it's where federal dollars are being deployed to get rid of slums, but in the doing, kind of destroy communities of color and their physical spaces where they live. Yes. And so that displacement and disproportional impact in American cities on communities of color left in in the wake with very little access to nature in American cities all of that the highways urban renewal her childhood her appreciation of nature she's a beautiful nature writer she's a hiker uh-huh. she loves being in nature comes together as part of the policy agenda that she develops once she's in the White House. It's called beautification, but it's really much more complex.
1: We continue our conversation with Julia Zweig, New York Times best-selling author of Lady Bird Johnson Hiding in Plain Sight, and also the producer of the podcast In Plain Sight, Lady Bird Johnson. She sees River Park in mm-hmm. Washington, DC as a great example of what uh, urban centers can be across incomes across racial integration integration Uh, which reminds me a little bit it's like a mini version of brasilia
2: yes i you know when i first went to explore river park because it's here in washington dc in southwest the first mm-hmm. thing I was reminded of was um, Brasilia and also a lot of even some architecture in Rio, for example. I mean, it does have that very yes. Brazilian feel.
1: Yeah, that that modernism. So she understood when when she decides to take on the task of improving um, the lives of, of urban centers, she under, understood the complexity of the task. In fact, she says that it's more complicated than a choice between wall-to-wall pavement and wall-to-wall grass.
2: Well, that's a good quote. Is that from my book? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she was very, very good at putting her finger on the issues. And, yes. um, and she was also careful at the same time. One of the things I, I noticed is that even though she was hyper-conscious that this was an issue about race, uh-huh. And certainly, class. She was very careful not to talk in 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 racial terms. You know, mm-hmm. she talked. Of, she used the phrase "city victims," uh-huh. but she never explicitly said black and brown Americans are the ones who are getting the short end of the stick in American cities.
1: Ultimately, do you think the word "beauty" and beautification hurt her cause, for her work? Well, you know, she hated the phrase
2: beautification. It was a euphemism. She said much later, I'll never forgive Lyndon's boys for making me use that word, because, but I did it because I realized that if you get people to care about what comes out of the ground, eventually they'll care about the land that grows what comes out of the ground. Mm -hmm. So she... I think, you know, to your question about whether that phrase was fitting to the time, you know, the city beautiful movement goes back to the early 20th century. It's not just a a phrase that is associated beauty or beautification with women. But I think by the 1960s, it starts to take on a kind of gendered, fluffy, um, girly connotation. And in a way, you could say the upside to that is that, you know, who better than, a Southern woman to go around the country and tell Americans to to help empower Americans to pass local laws, to clean up their rivers and their parks and to beautify, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of all a package, including the name Lady Bird, right? You can't really do better. Lyndon (laughs) Johnson used to say, I don't need Madison Avenue. I've got Bird, right? She's, (laughs) she's, She's a pretty good uh, representative to articulate this this idea of of the responsibility of citizens to mobilize their government to protect the environment and invest in creating access to nature for everybody, desegregating access to nature for everybody, not just in the national parks, but in American cities, but. Yes. It's taken a very long time because of that phrase and because she was in the telling of her story, primarily associated with this thing called highway beautification, as opposed to urban planning and nature in American cities, it's taken a long time for us to see just how ambitious her vision was. So in that sense, I think it did get in the way.
1: Yeah, it's ambitious and it's incredibly forward thinking in a way too forward thinking and and i think that's one of the reasons why she ultimately didn't have as much success because if she had Mm -hmm. been doing that today i feel like she would have gone much farther where do you think she succeeded and where do you think she failed well, on one one before, come back to the
2: succeeded and failed question in a second, because another thing that I want to address with your last mm-hmm. question is that I think that the women's movement's explosion onto the scene mm-hmm. in the 60s and early 70s also, um, I don't want to say got in the way of, but there's something about the women's movement and the terms of reference and the way that American women were talking about empowerment that, you know, when you have a first lady talking about beauty, it just sounds totally retrograde, even though she was clearly in the doing quite a feminist. She didn't think of herself as that. She didn't express, you didn't use that language. And I think she also gets kind of drowned out because the women's movement is just moving forward in a different way and in different terms, talking about, about, the condition of women in America in the United States. So I just wanted to, to raise that as another reason why the beauty phrasing was a problem.
1: One of the things that I feel living in, in a big city like New York is that there's no room for expression, for individuality. And I think she saw that uh, especially as as both LBj and Lady Bird saw how cities were going to become larger and larger, and there was not going to be this opportunity to really be an individual like nature, let's say gives you that opportunity. How mm. did Lady Bird ultimately succeeded in changing a little bit our cities mm. Mm. it's such a tough question because
2: you know she had i think a huge influence in raising public consciousness Mm -hmm. in american cities about the importance of some level of natural beauty in our immediate surroundings Mm
1: -hmm.
2: the the when I was doing the research for this book and interviewed people who were growing up at the time that she was, she had her beautification campaign, they all would point to municipal laws and public awareness campaigns that were passed in American towns and cities throughout the 1960s. And I think that's to her credit. It's certainly, you can see it in Washington DC where every year We have this incredible bloom that begins with the daffodils and goes to the dogwoods and the azaleas and the cherry blossoms all in public spaces and also in the planting and maintenance of triangles and parks, not just in tourist white Washington, but in the other quadrants of the city. The other big focus for her was the Anacostia River which is, there are two big rivers that border the District of Columbia. One is the Potomac, one is the Anacostia. And the Anacostia River now, 50 years later, is in the process very far along of being cleaned up, of having the riverfront area developed for public access for recreation. Mm -hmm. It's become quite gentrified. That wouldn't have been her choice. But I think generally the kind of overall consciousness that she brought that citizens should lobby corporations and municipal government to put resources into building parks and keeping nature accessible to everyone is very much to her credit.
1: I was reading actually about Anacostia yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it was not as polluted as in the 60s, then became really, really polluted. And now it's being cleaned again, but not at the level that you could, let's say, go swimming in it.
2: No, that's true. I mean, that's why in the 1960s, it's a good point that the centerpiece of her work. And, and we should talk about Larry Halperin, the landscape architect, who yes. was her big partner in this vision for Washington, D.C. and the Anacostia. You know, Lady Bird was a huge swimmer. She swam yes. all the time. She swam in outdoor lakes. She swam in indoor pools. She had a long sets of meditations about the value of swimming and being in water. Mm-hmm. Um, and she teamed up with Larry Halperin, who eventually became the person that designed the FDR monument in Washington and was a really interesting uh collaborator with his own wife who was a choreographer another subject but halprin was in san francisco and had developed lots of public spaces in san francisco and came to washington dc financed by money that Lady Bird raised from from civil rights philanthropists in new york to to develop the anacostia model which was essentially built around creating a giant public swimming hole in kingman island in yes. the Anacostia River and and public swimming spaces. I mean, there are a few of them around the world. One of them is in Austin, Texas now, actually, to her credit. Um, the idea of having rivers damned in American cities for people to go swimming is, is pretty radical. It never happened in, in Kingman Island is, does not have a public swimming pool in it now, but that kind of gives you the idea of what they sensed as possible, at least.
1: Thank you so much. Junior. All right. Good luck. Great to good meet luck. you by phone. Take care. You too. On two before and after black and white photos of a plaza taken by the National Park Service in Washington DC in 1966, we can appreciate the essence of Lady Bird's legacy. On the before image, the benches are facing the street with their backs to the trees and grass. In the after photo, there are more benches and all of them have been rotated 180 degrees to face not just the trees, newly planted flower beds. Lady Bird influenced environmental legislation and steered American cities towards nature. We must continue on this path if we want sane and happy urban lives. Also, our planet may depend on it. If you are enjoying Palula, please leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe. I leave you with a few seconds of the song Lady Bird by Peter McPolland. Till next time. Beautification to my mind is far more than a matter of cosmetics. To me, it describes the whole effort to bring the natural
0: world and the man-made world into harmony.